How are we doing? Just as we were singing that last song about how many know that God is working even though we don't feel Him, we don't see Him. I just felt this morning, if, if that's you and you're in this place and you're like, hey, I'm feeling nothing. I'm not even feeling something in my little toe. Would you just stand right now if you've got an impossibility you're believing God for? Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's just like, I've got nothing. I'm feeling nothing. I'm trusting in God. Would you just, I just want to pray for you this morning. There's a few people standing at the back. Anyone else? Anyone else is just facing an impossibility and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm believing God, but I'm feeling nothing. I can't see anything that he's doing in this space. If that's you this morning, just, just stand up. I just want to pray for you. I just feel like this is a significant time in your life. The fact that you've had the courage to stand. And we just believe right now, we just declare that those things that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy. Why don't we just increase our faith and our prayers? Stretch your hand out towards these people. The, enemy, the, the things that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy, we curse in the name of Jesus. Just like Jesus cursed the fig tree, we curse these things that would want to come and cause demise and, and, and destruction to these lives. And we declare in the name of Jesus, we say from this day on that we will start to see impossibilities bow to the name of Jesus. That there would be literally a shift in this day, that there would be a, there would be a, a line drawn in the sand where this day everything changed. Not because of us, but because of King Jesus. And right now we declare that those things, those strongholds, those impossibilities, that they will bow to the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you got your Bibles, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Who's ever been hurt in church before? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. Let me rephrase that. Who's never been hurt in church before? We'll pray for you afterwards and we'll get rid of that lying spirit. If you've never been hurt in church before, come back next week. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit funny, but the, the reality is that how many know that we get hurt? How many know that there's things that happen because we're people? How many know that if you were to invite people around to your place, your best friends, how many know that some people naturally you wouldn't invite that are sitting in this room right now? The reality is, is that the Lord has actually positioned us together as a community, as a family of people, where we actually become really strong because of our differences. What that means is that as we're vulnerable in this place of community, what that means is it opens us up to hurt, bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's actually a big deal. Recently, I was talking to a a number of pastors who pastored churches in this area. And also I spoke to a pastor in another part of the world and there was one thing in common. We were talking about the fact that right now 
the church has experienced division like never seen before. At least in our, my lifetime and the other's lifetime. The fact is that what's happened in the last couple of years with a worldwide pandemic and all other things on the world stage have actually caused the church to divide. There's differences of opinion. And that's fine because we need to celebrate diversity. But what happens in it is that people actually say, hey, you believe something different to me, so I'm going to isolate. You believe something different to me, so I'm going to sever our relationship. And they walk away. There's various ways that the enemy attacks us. And I'm glad in this church we're not obsessed with the enemy. But it is good that we know his tactics. And one of his tactics is, is to sow unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives. On some of the issues that we're experiencing right now on a worldwide stage, I don't really think the enemy really cares what side you're on. As long as you step out of the character of Christ to defend your position. The enemy is working hard to cause division in the church. And this is what it means. When a family, when a community, when a church is in division... What does it mean? It means that we're not effective. There's a vision over there. It says transforming our community through the love and power of Jesus. When we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, we're actually ineffective to do the very thing that God has asked us to do. By the way, I was meant to do like an intro and bang, I was straight into it this morning, so... (laughs) But this is the reality. That right now the enemy is working hard to sow seeds of bitterness, unforgiveness in our church, in our lives, in the body of Christ. And it makes us ineffective to do the very thing that God has asked us to do. If we had no vision here, if we weren't interested in the Lord actually impacting communities and worlds, then we could live with all the dysfunction we wanted and all the offense and all the bitterness. Let me tell you, it wouldn't be a nice place to come, but it wouldn't matter. It still wouldn't be a nice place to come. But the point is, it's the fact that we, 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 the Lord has purpose for us to impact our community actually means that we have to celebrate diversity We actually have to give honor. We actually have to forgive and and, and move on from things that have held us back in the past and move on to the very thing that the Lord would have purposed in your life and the life of this church. Unforgiveness keeps me connected to my past and unable to contribute to the present and the future. If I have unforgiveness, my volume increases, but my influence goes down. Let me say that again. Someone who has a heart and a lifestyle of unforgiveness and bitterness, their volume goes up, but their influence goes down. How many know that we could become a church if we allow unforgiveness and bitterness, that we become louder, 
that our influence goes down. Our effect in our community actually goes down. But the Lord would have us to actually forgive. He would actually have us to to, to band together in a place of community, in a place of honour, where people outside this church actually see something and they see, hey, I'm now tasting, I'm now seeing a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. I'm now seeing a picture of what heaven is like, not because necessarily the preaching is amazing or the worship is amazing or anything else that's done, but they say, hey, we walked into that place and we saw how people do life together and that is a picture of heaven. Unforgiveness defiles me and everyone under my influence. How many know that unforgiveness or bitterness is always justifiable? If it wasn't justifiable, we would just be stupid. It's always justified. There's always reasoning. It's never like the person never did something wrong to you. It's a legitimate reason why someone has done something to you and why you have decided or I have decided to continue in this posture or in this lifestyle of unforgiveness. In the last month, I had a discussion with someone or someones and in this discussion... I believed what was being discussed was not right. To me, it wasn't a grey area. It was black and white. And so I did my best to address that and talk to that person or persons. And how many know that I finished the conversation, but when I finished that conversation, there was a conversation going on in my head. Who's ever been there before? This actually rarely happens to me. But this day, a conversation kept going on in my head. And I'd already talked to this person or persons about the issue. And I started a narrative. I started a dialogue in my head about accusations. I started pulling up history about why this had gone on. This went on for, I started making a lot of assumptions about why this person or persons had done what they had done. And this went on for like 15 minutes. And I had a discussion with my wife about it. And she said, you just need to settle down a bit. Like, honestly. And this thing kept going on in my head. I was making accusations in my head. I was coming to conclusions about why this certain thing had happened. And all of a sudden, probably 25, 30 minutes into it, I decided to go to the Bible. How many know that that's a good place to go? Try your wife first. But when the conversation had finished, the conversation was continuing in my head. Actually, has this ever happened to anyone else? I'm sure it happens a lot. This actually happened to me this morning. I'll tell you what happened. So the whole family had already been at church because Rachel was here for music practice. So I was the only one in the house. And I got, was getting ready and I went into the bathroom to clean my teeth. 
I open the drawer because I love to keep my toothbrush in a very special place. When I use my toothbrush, I dry it. I do my best to make sure it's dry and clean and I put it in a special place because we've got three children. It always is in the exact spot. I open the drawer, it's gone. My toothbrush is gone. There is no excuse. It's all colour-coded in our family. Dad's toothbrush is blue. How can... (sighs) Thank you, I'm feeling better now. It is blue. Thank you, Lord, it is blue. Dad's toothbrush is blue. I had this, my heart started pounding. My toothbrush is gone. The first thing I did was I opened the vanity for a new packet of toothbrushes. Guess what? There's none there. What do I do? I've actually got to come to church and I don't have a toothbrush. So I looked around and on the vanity there was some soap and some shampoo or something. And there it was like jammed in the back. My toothbrush was jammed in there on a dirty vanity. It's not actually that dirty, by the way. It's sitting there with the bristles down. So I had this dilemma. I went down into the vanity. I had another look. There's still no brand new toothbrushes. I was like, what do I do? So my mind started racing. Do you know it's possible, and I still haven't found out the truth yet, Do you know it's possible that someone had just picked it up and gone, oh, that's daddy's, and put it there? But my mind was racing. My mind came up with these other conclusions. My mind was thinking how creative my children are. And my mind is telling me, Ben, you've never actually sat down with your son who's seven and told him not to clean himself with your toothbrush. This is what my mind's thinking. And right there in that moment, I had to decide, am I going to church with a bad breath or am I going to church and putting something in my mouth that potentially could defile me? So I I prayed over it. I wasn't going to come to church with bad breath. I prayed over it and I also put some boiling water on it and and, and I'm hoping that's fine. But how many know that we actually go on these narratives in our mind? It doesn't usually end in a good place. And this was the reality for me in the last month when I'd had this discussion with this person and it wasn't right, I believed it wasn't right, I went on this narrative in my mind and when I went to the scriptures, I opened up where I was about to read and exactly the portion that I was reading for that day was in Matthew chapter 18. And in verse 21 it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Let's just stop there for a moment. Who's ever thought they were really smart and asked someone even smarter a question and then thought they would answer it before they give the answer? Yeah. 
And you can imagine Peter, he's probably thinking, you know, because he's a pretty smart guy, he's probably thinking, hey, I'm going to ask Jesus a question and I'm going to already have the answer. And so Peter comes up with an answer seven times. It's probably he's thinking that's the most humanly as possible. And in the original language, scholars actually tell us that when Peter said to Jesus, how many times shall I forgive? What he actually said was, how many times shall I forgive each day? And here he comes with this question to Jesus. And he says, hey, seven times? And Jesus says, no. And in another translation, it says 70 times seven. And it just blows it out of the water. What Jesus was saying here was, hey, forgiveness has no limit. Let's go on. Verse 22, it says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not even seven times, but 70 times seven. Verse 23. And then Jesus goes on and says, I'm going to tell you an illustration, give you a parable about the clearest picture of what biblical forgiveness looks like. Here we go. Verse 23, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot of gold, was brought to him. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And verse 35, buckle your seatbelts for this. It says, these are the words of Jesus, they're not my notes. Verse 35 says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is pretty heavy. This is not a verse that you want to be putting in someone's birthday or Christmas card. <laughs> Please don't put it in mine. But in all seriousness, this is pretty heavy of what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is, the God of the universe, the God that actually pours his mercy and grace out and forgives us, he is actually limited by his forgiveness that is towards you, by how you forgive others. It says it again. Let's, let's look at another passage. Matthew 6, verse 12. This is the Lord's Prayer. It says... And, and verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we, have, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. How are we all feeling this morning? It's a pretty heavy, weighty verses here. I love the verses about how that the Lord is our shepherd, how that he protects us like a heavenly father and we get to sit and cuddle on his lap and, and all these things that we love and we, we should be reading those. But how many know that let's not pass over the passages that actually cut deep? There are actually weighty passages of scripture that we need to expose ourselves to. What Jesus is actually saying here is this issue of forgiveness is such a big deal that unless you forgive others, his hands are tied to forgive you. I would like to propose that Western forgiveness is slightly different to biblical forgiveness. I would like to propose that what we experience and forgiveness in our society and our culture is a little bit different to what Jesus is talking about here. In our society, unforgiveness is accepted. It's actually not just accepted, it's actually empowered. It's emphasized. We see this especially in the political area. We see this We've, we've just finished a long campaign and how many know that the whole thought behind the political campaign is to dig up as much dirt as you can on the opposition? Isn't it interesting that the whole point of these campaigns of the political arena is to try and find out all these things about this person that they've done and how many know that as soon as an election is called, all of a sudden people are going back into their childhood, 50, 60 year old people and all of a sudden we're finding something that happened when they were 12 and we're putting this up in the media and it goes against everything that Jesus is talking about as forgiveness. And in our society, we applaud this. And I'm not saying at all that people shouldn't be held responsible. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be accountability. But what I am saying is that often our, our, our thought about forgiveness in our society is different to biblical forgiveness. Years ago, I was working on a road construction project and... There was a guy I was working with and I soon noticed not long after I'd been working with him that every now and again during the day he would get this little black book out of his pocket and he would start writing in it and then he would put it back in his pocket. And one day I went up to him and I said, what's the go with the black book? And he said, oh, every time someone does something against me or there's a conflict or there's an issue... I write it down to keep a record. I said, okay. And I asked him, how many times am I in the book? And he said, well, 
I might have to add you the first time now. And anyway, it was a joke, but anyway. Um, so, but the point is that this guy actually had this book. And I said to him, what do you do with them? He said, well, I've got hundreds of them. I said, you serious? He said, yeah, they're little black books and they're not big so I can fit in my pocket because he, ne- he said, I never want to miss an opportunity to record something that's been done against me. I said, what do you do with them? He says, well, I keep them in a safe place at home, like a safe or something. I said, do you look at them? He said, oh, occasionally when I have some free time, I'll scroll through them and I'll read them. And I'll just remind myself about all these things that have been done against me. How many know that this person is locked into unforgiveness and bitterness? This person, for whatever reason, had had such an influence on their life that they could not go to the shops. You talk about not being able to leave home without your phone. The other day I did that and I had a little moment. This guy could not leave home without his black book in his pocket. Because what about if someone says something to me? And what about if by the time I get home I forget the details of what they've done that was against me? Forgiveness doesn't mean that I condone what was done to me. Nor does it mean, nor does it make it right. It doesn't mean that the abuse or whatever that was done is okay. Let me say that again. Forgiveness does not mean that the the abuse or whatever has been done against me is okay. This is what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'm not going to be controlled by the sins of another person. It means I'm not going to let the spirit of unforgiveness dictate to me my thoughts and my feelings. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. How many know that there's a difference between a wound and a scar? There is a big difference between a wound and a scar. And oftentimes we carry around wounds when the Lord is actually designing and giving us opportunities through forgiveness to change those wounds and healing into a scar. Have you ever walked in a room and you see someone and all of a sudden you feel that little bit of angst? Oh, and you walk the other way. I would like to propose that there's still a wound there, potentially of unforgiveness or bitterness. Or maybe someone says something about a person that, man, that person really did an amazing job. And straight away the thought process is, well, if only you knew what I knew. Oh, it hurts. There's a little bit of something in there. It's unforgiveness or bitterness. Or maybe someone gets a a promotion or someone... Uh, has something amazing, an amazing testimony in their life, and all of a sudden, just for a split second, there's something in us that hurts. How many know that the only things that hurt in our life are the things that are meant to be dead anyway? A couple of years ago, I cut my thumb off 
I know it's not a glamorous topic for a Sunday morning with the coffee, but um, in that process of cutting my thumb off and getting it replanted, I learned a lot of things in hospital. And I started to learn into a brand new world about things I'd never even thought or even understood about trauma. But while I was in hospital recovering and my thumb was healing, this nurse would come to me and she would start changing the wounds, start changing the dressings. She would say to me all the time, it's very important that we keep the environment correct for this wound to heal. How many know that it's not just time that heals wounds? Oftentimes we hear a lot that, hey, it's just time, just give things time. This nurse told me this. She said there's some people that have had wounds for years. I never knew this. She said she's experienced someone who had such a bad wound. Once again, I apologize for such a topic on a Sunday morning. But she, she said she experienced someone who had such a bad wound that would not heal because the environment was so toxic they actually had to inject maggots into the wound to clean it out. This is incredible. The point is that the environment that we create is actually really important to how our wounds actually heal. And it's not just time that heals things. Time, of course, a process, a journey, time is important. But how many know that forgiveness is the thing that changes a wound from a wound into a scar? How many know that that a scar is tender, it's sore, it's vulnerable, it's open? It doesn't take much for that wound to be reinfected. But a scar is closed, it's healed. It might be still there, but how many know as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we look at a a scar, we don't feel the hurt, or we shouldn't feel the hurt, we might feel the memories, but how many know that because of the grace and the power of Jesus, we can have scars all over us and it testimonies to the goodness of God? Forgiveness is the process of our wounds becoming scars. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, Ben, you don't understand what's been done to me. It's unspeakable. I'm not up here saying it's right. I'm not up here saying you need to trust that person again. Trust has to be earned. Forgiveness doesn't. But what I am saying is we have to allow the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father to such impact our lives whereby we're not defiled by that very thing. I love the Bible because it gives us practical ways of doing things. The Bible tells us that There is a practical way that we can move from this place of unforgiveness to forgiveness. John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit of your repentance. What that verse means is that there has to be evidence for our repentance. There has to be evidence. 
Jesus said, if you say you love God that you cannot see but hate your brother, you're a liar. Another one that's not good for a Christmas card. But these are the words of Jesus. If you say that you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. There has to be evidence for a spiritual reality that we claim. There has to be measurable evidence that there's been been a change, there's been repentance, there's been forgiveness. Here John the Baptist says, bring forth fruit of repentance. Some of you might find this hard to believe, but a few years ago, I didn't get along with everybody. I'm joking again. But, but in all seriousness, a few years ago, we, um, we went to America. We spent a year over in Bethel Church. And while we were there, we heard this teaching about bringing forth fruit of, of, of repentance. And we got this revelation that, hey, I'm just not going to sit here and wait for my feelings to change. I have to bring evidence of this forgiveness that I'm claiming. And so, myself and my wife, Rachel, we started to... It wasn't that people had sinned against us, by the way. It was just that there were some people that thought differently to us, had a different personality... And I couldn't handle that. And myself and Rachel, we started to bring these people to remembrance. These were the people that that, they hadn't sinned, but there was just a difference of opinion. There was conflict. There was tension. It was in the workplace. It was in our family. It was in our church family. It was in our world. There was conflict. There was tension. And when I would think about these people, it wasn't that I had bad thoughts about them, but let's just say if I walked into the room, they wouldn't be the people I'd naturally go over to. And as we heard this revelation, we started to say to each other, well, we need to bring some evidence of our forgiveness. If we claim that we've forgiven people, if we claim that that the relationship is correct, is right, then we need to bring some evidence. So we started praying for these people. We started praying for them like you would want someone to pray for you. We started praying for blessing on their kids, blessing on their parents, blessing on their workplaces, blessing on everything they do. And of course, when we started, it didn't feel great. But all of a sudden, we would start we, we, we took it even a step further. We'd be driving along and we would bring this person's name and we would start just talking about the things that they do really well at. Say, hey, that person just excels in that. I really see that heart that that person has for this thing or that thing. And all of a sudden we started doing this, bringing things to remembrance. And how many know in a couple of weeks this was our natural tendency was actually not just these people, but a lot of people. 
was that we would be driving along and just, just overwhelmed by the goodness and the love of God for these people. You see, and of course now it's a challenge for us to keep continuing to walk into that. We're not in a perfect place, by the way. But there has to be evidence for the forgiveness that we claim that we've, we've given. What does evidence look like for you? Well, maybe it looks like you, you take some time and maybe you fast a meal and you pray for that particular person or that particular incident. Maybe it means that you take that person out for coffee or take them out for lunch. By the way, if I've taken you out for lunch, there's no problem. I do like to hang out with friends and mates. But the point, the, the point is that there has to be evidence for our claimed forgiving of someone. Maybe the person who has wronged you has passed away. I would encourage you to take some time and pray for their family, their children, their grandchildren, their family, that all in, in everything that their family, their descendants would just be ones that follow after the Lord. Just as I finish up, this issue of forgiveness is a big deal. And sometimes I think, especially in church, we're like, hey, yeah, I've got this little issue against someone, but it's not a big deal. And we sweep it under the carpet. Or maybe in our marriage, we have this issue with our spouse, our spouse and it's like, hey, that's not a big deal. We just cover it up, we sweep it under the carpet. But it is a big deal. It is a big deal to God. It is a big deal to us moving forward in the purposes of God. Because if we move forward with dysfunction, with disunity, with division, we're not going to be effective to the very thing that God has asked us to do. Unforgiveness literally paralyzes us. We're still alive, but we're no use. So I would encourage you, Hope Point Church, Hope Point family, for where God wants to take us as a church, He's looking for a firm foundation to build upon. Maybe there's even people in our church where you look across and you think, wow, there's still something that person did to me 10 years ago and it still hurts. Or maybe it's something last week someone looked at me and it, it really hurt. I'm not saying that you have to go up to that person, but we have to resolve our hearts before the Lord. There has to be evidence. We have to, 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 to allow God to relieve us of this unforgiveness that we carry. He wants to take our wounds to scars. He wants to take those things that are painful, those things that are awkward, those things that are messy, that dysfunction, 
and to turn it into something that's going to be a testimony about the goodness and the grace of God. Wouldn't it be an amazing testimony if people came into our church and said, wow, how is this possible? What you're doing, community, family, how is this possible? It's like, no, we didn't take a poll and find out who believes the same things and we just grouped all together. There's actually a lot of scars here, but every scar testifies to the goodness of God and how the fact that even in our mess, we work through stuff, we talk through stuff, we didn't allow bitterness and unforgiveness to lodge something in here that caused defilement to our whole body. Why don't you just close your eyes this morning? I heard a story about, just as you're closing your eyes, we're just going to pray in a moment, but I just want to finish with this last thought. I heard a story recently about a man who actually died and came back to life. And when he came back to life, he was so terrified about where he was going to end up in eternity. And he was so terrified and he was being interviewed years later and he was saying that when there was conflict in the home, he would literally run to get away from it because he saw the effect of bitterness and unforgiveness on eternity. Where the Lord is calling us to as Hope Point Church is a place of us being united, of us being diverse, but not harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. And I just believe the Lord is calling us this morning. There might be comments about the global church struggling in this area, but how, what would it look like if we, as a believers, as a family of God, said, hey, we're going to put these things aside. We're going to work through stuff. And we're going to allow the grace and the forgiveness that God has actually given to us leak out of us and affect other people. So this morning, just as you're sitting here, I just want you to just contemplate your own life, your relationships. Proverbs says, look over your heart. Just consider your heart this morning. Is there things there that you need to, is there people there that you need to forgive? Maybe in the past you've claimed that you have forgiven them, but you've lacked any evidence. I want to challenge you this week to provide some evidence of this reality that's taken place in your life. Maybe it's to your wife. Maybe it's to your husband. So Lord, this morning as we're here together, Lord, we know that it's nothing but the grace of God that we can be here today. God, and as we reflect on the amazing gift of redemption, of sacrifice, of forgiveness that you gave to us when we didn't deserve a thing,
we were the ones that owed you the 10,000 bags of gold. Lord, and you reached out in your mercy and your grace and you forgave us and you continue to forgive us time and time again. Lord, we know that you've already chosen to forgive before we even commit sin. Your heart is that turn to reconcile with us. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we reflect and as we experience your forgiveness, Lord, we pray the natural tendency would be for forgiveness to flow out from us to every other person. Just while your, your heads are bowed, I just want to give anyone here an opportunity to f- receive the forgiveness of God. If you're here and you're like, hey, Ben, I've never had a relationship with God. I've never come to that place and said to Jesus that you want to give him your life to experience the forgiveness of your sin. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna, I just want to include you in a prayer. If that's anyone here, just raise your hand. If that's you across this place and you want to say, hey, I don't want to leave here without knowing that I'm right with God. Is there anyone here this morning? We're not going to take long with this, but if anyone here, you, you want to know you're right with God, you want to experience the forgiveness of a perfect father, if there's anyone here this morning, we want to make time for that. Anyone at all? That's good. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you saw us and we were a long way off. Lord, you reached out and you forgave us. Amen.